this is a little different than it normally is, right? We're going to start um, this service with a connection moment because this connection moment is about corporate worship. And so hopefully what you hear in the next few minutes will be less of me and more of him. But um, thought we'd place it here so that as we hear from the Holy Spirit, hopefully we have a chance then to respond uh, immediately to what what he has to say, and so um, as I as I kind of begin and we talk about the importance of corporate worship, I just want to point out a couple of really important things. This is not in any way, shape, or form me- meant to like take the place of your own personal worship at home. Nor is it meant to kind of overshadow the fact that we believe that our lives are worship to him. As we leave this place, we literally like never stop worshiping him with our lives. And so we hold these these all together that corporate worship, personal worship, lives as worship are all important. And so um, we believe that in this corporate worship setting um, that, that you're going to get something from God that you're not going to get anywhere else. And so we really believe that corporate worship is incredibly important. I have five questions to ask you, but first I want to start um, by just making this point that worship is introductory in two senses. For one, it's heaven practice. Uh, the Bible like doesn't talk a overwhelming amount about heaven, but the amount that it does, it makes it pretty clear that we're going to sing a lot. (laughs) We're going to sing all creation is going to just ascribe praise and glory to him. And so what we do here is like setting the stage for heaven, which is just really cool if you ask me. Second of all, it's introductory in the sense that what we do here, we get to take home, at least hopefully. Um, Maybe you don't really love music. That's fine. Um, But I think we can all agree that there's power in what music does to both the heart and the mind of a human being, right? This is why we teach the kids ABCs to a song. We have something important we want them to learn. We put it to a song. We have important truths we want to learn here at church, things we want to take with us when we go. We instill them into our brain through music. Um, This is why now... Please don't disappoint me like first service did. If I say to you, it's fun to stay at the. Thank you, and you said the motions too. Thank you, Jenny. There's power in our posture as well, right? That our posture and our singing, right? Marketing people know what's up. Okay, so this, we can join in that if we join in it with, with our mouths, right? Okay, so on to my five questions. I have five questions for you about your corporate worship here as you're entering here is your worship joyful this is a chief characteristic of christianity literally our religion is marked by the fact that our people are filled with joy psalm 100 says shout for joy to the lord all the earth worship the lord with gladness come before him with joyful songs and so i ask you church is there a shout of joy in your worship some of y'all are like amy your shout is a little too loud I'm sorry, I'm just trying to obey the scripture. I'm just kidding. Is there a shout of joy? Is there gladness in your worship? We should be able um, to be a place that is exuding such joy that when people come in this space and they've not been here before, they are just in awe of of this people that are emanating joy, right? Uh, We should be a people and our corporate worship settings should be a place where people, again, come in and they say, these people believe what they're singing. And I saw them this week and they were living that. And wow, now they're here and look how they worship their God. This matches, right? Which leads me to my next question. Number two, have you considered your worship to be 
a witness. And I think this happens kind of like twofold. We are a witness, again, to the world, to the people that may come into these doors who are unfamiliar with our setting, who's maybe watching on live stream. Um, With one voice, we're proclaiming something to him, that as we gather together, we are a better representation of Christ together as all of these people that we are individually. And so let's come and in unity with one voice, proclaim who he is, how good he is, um, and give him glory. Secondly, we're a witness to each other. Now, this is um, mildly one of those secondary things because we have to get this in the right order. But Paul says in Colossians 3, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And so um, I think this is so powerful. We have, we have to understand that we are an encouragement. It's not, it's not that you stand here and you raise your hand to testify, kind of like side-eye in your neighbor, like, are you seeing me here? Are you seeing my hand go up, right? It's not that, but it's that as you raise your hand and testify, your neighbor's like, ooh, yes, I know her story. I know his story. And I, I see that testimony in their life, and we are an encouragement to each other, right? Okay. Third question, what is your sacrifice? Some of you might remember the song, sing it with me. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Yes, we could, it's just that over and over. <laughs> but this idea of worship being a sacrifice is, is nothing new. Um, but here's my question for you. How is it a sacrifice? Maybe you come in and... Maybe you hate my voice. That's okay. (laughs) I can take it. Um, Maybe you dislike the band. That's okay, too. That's your preference. Maybe you don't like the songs that we sing. That's okay. So we take what we want, and we lay it on the altar, and that literally is our sacrifice. If you felt like I was pointing at you, I'm literally going to turn this to the other side as well. And I'm going to say, maybe you come in here. Holy Spirit, cover my words here. Maybe you come in here and you're like, I love her voice and I love the band and I love watching Chris Shred on guitar. That's my husband. I can obsess over him. (laughs) Um, Like maybe these are all songs that you love and this is like kind of like you mark worship by like, oh, worship was amazing today, aka they sang all my favorite songs and it sounded amazing. Like, Guys, that's not the point either. That is still something that you have to take because it's your wants and your desires and place them on the altar and that's your sacrifice of praise. Amen? Yes. Um, fourth question, what is your posture like? Maybe some of you are immediately like, Amy, we worship God in spirit and in truth. Yes, we do. And the external matters as well. And we see this through all the Old Testament. We see this in the New Testament. We do. External matters. What we do with our bodies matters. It's both. And so um, we see this pattern in the Bible that that literally goes all through our last 2,000 years of church history. Men lifting holy hands to the Lord. Um, I I think the default setting here somehow... Um, the default setting we've gotten to here in these services is, is passivity. When true worship requires action, it just does. And so a few, where did that paper go? I have a bunch of Bible verses that point to that. <laughs> here we go. I got some ideas for you. 
Okay? Ideas of posture. Psalm 95.6 says, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Psalm 119.120 says, my flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your presence. Nope. Laws. Presence is okay too. <laughs> dancing. Psalm 149.3, let them praise his name with dancing and make music for him. Praise the Lord with heart. Make music to him on the 10-string lyre or a guitar or the drums. You, you get my point. Psalm 47.1, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Psalm 63.4, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I think posture matters, and it's something to consider. My last question for you is, are you thirsty? Do you come to these services, this corporate worship gathering, thirsty for God and his presence? Um, you see, I think this is kind of the paradox of it all is because so often we talk about like this worship isn't about you. you got, we talked about the sacrifice. You got to lay what you want down on the altar. This is about God worshiping him. But when we order this right in his way and we lay ourselves down and glorify him first, he comes and he's like, I want to pour my blessing and my presence all over your life. Like Todd was saying last week, I came to bring you life abundant in the here and now. This is what he said. John, Jesus says, John 7, 38, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Psalm 36, they feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your rivers of delights, for with you is the fountain of life. And in your light, we see light. Guys, God wants to do something amazing in these services. He wants his presence to, to come and not just kind of like, be here, but he wants to dwell here. What happens when you dwell in your house? You get to go through all the rooms and paint the walls, and you get to take down the pictures and put it over here, and then you say, this thing's a piece of junk. That's going to Goodwill, right? Like, you get to dwell in your house, and that's, that's what we want the Holy Spirit to come do here in this place, to come in and not just, like, oh, we feel you here, God, but, like, yes, come in, dwell here, move, rearrange Take out what you don't see fit, right? That we as a people, this is what we say. Guys, he wants us to come thirsty and leave abundantly satisfied with who he is. The band's going to come, and um, I'm going to say one more Bible verse. <laughs> you guys are going to say it here in just a minute. But uh, Psalm 8611, teach me your way, O Lord. This tells me two things. For one, I need to be taught. Jeff, it was really hard for me to repeat to my husband what you told us to do. I'm assuming you're going to say the same thing in second service. Whew. Humility is hard for a reason. <laughs> but I know that I need to be taught. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. This tells me that it's my choice. I walk in these doors, and I choose if I'm going to bless him, and I choose if I'm going to lay my preferences down, and I choose if I'm going to shout for joy and allow my worship to be marked by joy and gladness and hope. My choice. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Friends, undivided means wholehearted. The opposite, if it's not wholehearted, if our worship is not wholehearted, it is half-hearted. Right? Let's pray for undivided hearts that fear his name and worship him with our whole lives. We're gonna pray and I wanna encourage you, maybe, maybe this is the practice we need uh, to start 
posturing ourselves in a way that opens our hearts. Would you open your hands, church? Maybe you have your coffee. You can set it down if you want. And I'm sorry if this, this calls some people out. I'm going to make you all uncomfortable back there. We have some incredible folks who are working some technology. I mean, have you guys up here. Would you guys open your hands too? All of you. Like, this is for all of us, right? Like, he wants to come and bring life abundant to us. Let's pray, God, here in this place, here and now, we have come to worship you. And Lord, this starts in our hearts. It starts with the spirit of uh, truth in our hearts. But God, we want to express this outwardly as well. We want our just our whole lives, inward and outward, to be demonstrations of how much you fill us with joy, how much you fill us with hope. Lord, we long to be a witness to the world and to each other, an encouragement. Um, would you just accept our sacrifice of praise here and now in this place this morning? God, we love you and we... Uh, we sing of your praise.
fall, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. Though my heart may fail, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. While there's breath in my lungs, I will praise you, Lord. In the dead of night, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. When the waters rise, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. While there's Never fails, he will not. 
Broken for my regard. 
Um, could you, if your heads are bowed, can we bow our heads? And just as a, a witness, would you be able to lift your hand this morning and just declare, it is well with me? Can I see your hands this morning? Praise God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we love you. 
We love you in the good times and the bad times. The, the times when things are going our way and the times when things aren't going our way. We trust you. We're, we're thankful, Lord, for the promises that we've sang this morning. The winds and waves still know your name. And so, Lord, we can trust you even in uncertain times. And if any people's ever lived in uncertain times, we live in uncertain times. We don't know what tomorrow will hold, but, Lord, the truth is still there that we know who holds tomorrow. And so, Lord, we submit ourselves to you. We submit ourselves through worship, through singing, through the lifting of hands, through the way we live our lives. Lord, we lay our life before you and ask you, Lord, to transform, to renew, to continue to grow us into the image that you have in mind for each one of us. I pray for our church that you will bless it and use it that we will be a witness of your goodness and your grace. That, Lord, we'll worship you in truth. Lord, that, that we will be true to our uplifted hands and our, our uplifted voices. That it will not be just something that we do on a Sunday morning, Lord, but it will translate into how we live our lives. That when people see us, they'll say they're different. And the only thing that they can, they can assign it to is the fact that we've been with Jesus. So now, Lord, the rest of this service is yours. We, we've sensed you in our time of worship and singing. And, and Lord, now we ask that you bless our speaker, Dr. Kunselman. As he brings your word, may we receive it with gladness. And may we allow your spirit freedom to move. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It, it is my privilege this morning to introduce um, my friend and my, my district superintendent, Dr. Jeff Councilman. He's had a busy few months, uh, I believe, and I don't know if he'll share that, but many churches to fill, and we're so thankful for the, I'm so thankful for the good guidance he's given our church board as he's led them through the process. So let's welcome him this morning. Thank you, Pastor, and it really is nice to be with all of you this morning on this lovely spring morning. I've been here a good bit the last few months with your church board, and the Lord has favored us uh, with uh, one of the things I heard uh, about last time is how long it took us to secure a pastor, and uh, believe me, I know, but the Lord was good to us. <laughs> He gave us Pastor Paul, and uh, so we're grateful for that. This time, it seems like it's moved along extremely quickly, and we thank the Lord for that. And so I look forward to being back with you next Sunday evening at 5, as you have opportunity to meet uh, the pastor the board is nominating to the church membership, and uh, I think you'll be very pleased, and so we look forward to that. I do have one housekeeping matter that I need to take care of. That is the manual our bylaws provide for that during the times of pastoral transition, the church board may remain in place uh, for another year. And so I've asked the board if they would be willing to do that. It really only makes sense when you're bringing in 
pastor and he'll be in this transition time and the church is in this transition rather than going through all new board members. And so unless you just say, I think that is the worst idea I've ever heard, uh, that's what we're going to do, all right? It's, we're just extending the board, in case you're wondering about board elections this year, we're just going to take them and move everybody's term is one additional year, all right? All in favor of that, say amen. Ah, I like votes like that. That's, that's good. Well, let's go to Ephesians 4 uh, this morning. The big thought of Ephesians is, is unity, or another word would be harmony. In a nutshell, it works like this, that creation universally and individually is fractured, broken, apart from Christ. However, in Christ there comes unity, harmony within the individual and interpersonally and throughout all of broken creation. The letter of, of Ephesians basically broken into two parts, six chapters long, the first half, uh, verses one to three, or chapters one to three, then four to six. Uh, Bible teacher Warren Wearsby helps us here. He's got a key word for both of these sections. For chapters one to three, he says the key word is wealth. And Paul wastes no time getting to it. Chapter 1, verse 3, praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And in the succeeding sentences, he lists these blessings. That is, we are chosen, adopted, forgiven, and seated alongside with Jesus. We have been given the Holy Spirit. In 2.7, Paul writes of the incredible, quote, wealth of God's kindness and favor shown to us in all that he has done for, in all that he has done for us in Jesus. I, I have an acquaintance who grew up quite poor and was poor for a good bit of his life, but through some legitimate business practices, very quickly he became a, a wealthy man. And I know this is going to sound... Uh, Pretty tacky, and I get it, but I, I, I always cut him grace when he would mention this to me because I, I knew where he'd come from. He said, you know, Jeff, sometimes I just take my grandkids and hold them and the little babies and, and look at them and say, you have no idea how rich you are. Tacky, right? Well, in a, in a not-so-tacky way, that's exactly what Paul is doing in the first half of Ephesians. Do you know how rich you are, all that you have, because of Jesus? In the second half of Ephesians, the key word or challenge is walk. Verse 1, chapter 4, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. In other words, so much has been given to you and so much has been done for you and so much is promised to you. Now live in a way that matches who you are in Jesus. Well, 26 years ago, in fact, it would have been about 26 years ago this week, we were living here in Columbus. I was pastoring a church there. And in a very quick and unexpected way, this church in South Carolina wants to know if I'll come be their pastor. I'm like, oh, my word, you know, my world's just getting upset here. And, and what are we going to do? And I, so I'd flown down, and it all happened so quickly. And I, I said yes. And then came time to break the news to our two little girls. One was in the fourth grade. The other was in kindergarten. 
And Mona said, well, I won't be any help to you when it comes out because I'll be crying more than they are. And so I, so she had to go to the store one day and I thought, well, here's my moment in time. And so I, I sat the girls down and I said, I've, I've got something I want to tell you. And I began to tell them that that we were going to be moving and moving to South Carolina. And they'd been to the beach there a couple times. And so I was really trying to sell that part of the whole deal. Even though we weren't going to live near the beach, I was just going to, you know, we're going to be closer than we are. And, and the kindergartner, she's just wide-eyed and looking, thinking, you know, she's just watching the whole thing, listening to me. But the fourth grader, Jelaine, is just falling apart on me. I mean, she's just sobbing over, she's going to lose her home, she's going to lose her church friends, going to lose her school friends. I mean, she's just cry, cry, cry. And I'm thinking, what do I do? What do I say? Hey, parents, have you ever said something to your children in a moment of desperation? And as soon as you got it out, it's like, oh, no, what did I do? And so with Jelaine just, just crying away, I look, at, I look at the girls and I say, and we're going to get a pool. And, and then I'm like, what did I just say? But there's no way I could walk it back. I had no idea about how much does a house cost in South Carolina with a pool. How do I know if we're going to find a pool with a house? I don't know, but I'm stuck now. I mean, all of my integrity is hanging on this thing. So anyway, I end up becoming the pastor. They stayed while the Mona and the girls stayed back in Ohio while the school year was, was ending up. And I'm down there looking, you know, oh, i got to find a house with a with a pool, and I was like, oh, yeah, 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 and it wasn't going very well at all. And then one day, in the newspaper, in the classified ads, do you remember either one of those things? Remember? In the classified ads was this ad for a house in an area of town I had not looked in before with a, for a house, and it said it has a pool. So, and the price seemed to be right. Well, the reason the price was right, because the house was a dump. You know, you know, but it had a nice pool. I mean, we could have been that house. It could have been on any HGTV show of it needed a lot of work. We bought it. I kept trying to tell myself, well, they always say that's the best thing to do. You know, buy, buy the least expensive house in the neighborhood. Buy the one that needs the most work. I did. About the same time that we moved into the house there, Ken and Barbie moved into this great big house across the street. And I mean, it, this was a, quote, mature neighborhood, if you know what I mean. That's, that's a nice way to say you're getting old and the people are a little uppity. And, and so, you know, down behind their house was this, this pond, but there they called it a lake because, you know, in mature neighborhoods, you don't have ponds. You got those out in farms, but you got lakes when you live in Quail Hollow. And so there was, there was all of that in this big house and they had nice cars and the whole deal. And I'm looking at this thing, you know, and it's a little bit like, wait a minute, I'm over here serving Jesus and, and look at that over there. And, and, and then there was, but there became uproar over there. Over there, and I'm not going to get into all of that, but I mean, you just knew things weren't real good. I'll just leave it there. And then I came to learn something else. That wasn't their house, it was his dad's house. They're living there free. So here they are living in this great big house with a lake behind them, free, but they're not living into their wealth. 
You get what I'm saying there? And that's what Paul's saying. Hey, look at all that you have and are and is promised to you in Jesus. You are children of the king himself. Live like it. And so Paul begins to walk us through what this walk is to look like. He begins with, with uh, there in verses 1 to 3, this grace of unity. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Christ has done so much for us as individuals and as a people together, and now here's our part. Paul gives for us, you know, with the, with the tournament going on these days, it's easy for us to think in basketball language. This is our, our starting five, Paul says. Humility, gentleness, patience with others, love, and peace. Or another way, if you prefer to look at it, humility, gentleness, patience, and love, and they all feed into the fifth one. The result is peace. These characteristics are Christ's characteristics. And now as we walk with him and he by the Holy Spirit lives in us, they will become our characteristics. And from such, we live in unity with one another. You know, you can take any one of these. I mean, I, I just love to be having a, a, a Bible study on this. I mean, like if you're going to Sunday school this morning and you don't know what you're going to talk about, this would be a great verse to talk about. Just these five words. Take that first one, humility. I've been reading them. In fact, I've got a couple good books I've read not recently. One I'm reading now, the one I'm reading now is The Power of a Humble Life, but read another one a few years ago called Humilitas, and it's fascinating. Of, um, and he just begins to talk how many people think that they're above average. You know, they all, like they're all from Lake Wobegon. Um, 97%, one of the statistics, I mean, this is accurate, 97% of professors in any university that, that they charted rank themselves as being above average. That's funny if you think about it. Nobody thinks of themselves, you know, in, in, especially in certain areas. You know, it's like they're pretty confident. They're pretty sure. But one of the characteristics of humility is, is to be able to say, I don't know everything. In fact, I don't normally do this. I mean, this isn't like my style of preaching because I don't like it when preachers do it. But I'm going to do it. Why don't you just turn and look at the person next to you? Some of you are going to want to get your phones out and make sure you get this on video just as a, a documentation, but just look at the person next to you and say, I don't know everything. Go ahead. I mean, go ahead. Just, just see what it does. Yeah. I mean, whoa, you've been waiting half your life. That could heal some marriages this morning. And I'm being halfway serious about that. That could be the, the new day for you right there. But it's humility. And we learn by listening. We've been listening to one another through this process, even of calling a pastor. And we're listening to the Holy Spirit. And one of the great downfalls right now in our country is we're talking past one another. And one of the characteristics in the church ought to be that we listen to one another. We try to understand one another, where each other's coming from. We agree on as much as we can. We do everything we can to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And where those places are that we still can't come to agreement, we fall back on that ancient Christian maxim, you know, that, it, that, uh, that in essentials, yeah, we're, we're there. 
chair, but in non-essentials, we, we grant a lot of room. But in all things, we have charity, and there's love for one another. Amen? Amen. Then Paul moves to the ground of unity. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope. When you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in you all. So here's how my life rolls, especially this year. Pastors move from one church to another or, or they take up other kinds of ministries or they retire. And so when they're looking for a church, I meet with that local church board. And this can go on anywhere generally from six to 12 months. Usually we end up with a halfway decent friendship and that church gets a pastor, and then I go on down the road to another church that's looking for a pastor. Hit and run friendships. It's a lousy way to live, but it's my life. So I get, you know, you sort of know the routine of how this whole thing works after a while, and we finally get to the process that we're interviewing prospective pastors. And generally the pastor, he or she comes in, and they've, they've got several questions that, that they work through and they like to ask. Well, that, I mean that the board likes to ask. The board likes to ask these questions. And then I'll say, well, let's take a break for a few minutes here. And then ask the pastor, do you have anything that you'd like to ask the board? Well, generally, pastors don't have a long list of questions. And they just, they say, well, you know, I've got just two or three. Or by the questions that the board's asked, you've answered some of my questions. And so, you know, and, and they go on from there. So here a little while back, I was meeting with a board. And they went through and had all these questions for the pastor. And then I, I turned and said, Pastor, do you have anything you'd like to ask of the board? He said, well, actually, I do. I have one question um, that I'd just like to ask each board member here. And that is, I would just like for each one of you to share your testimony of how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. And I thought, he must have never been on an interview before. This isn't Wednesday night prayer meeting that we're looking for testimonies. But I thought, this ought to be interesting anyway. It's like, I haven't been here for that, for anything like this. So he starts in. So the first one, I knew, I knew this fellow's story because he'd only been a Christian for about three years. And, and I knew that he'd, he'd, his, as his life, as he has already told me, my life just sort of centered around drinking. That, that was what was my recreation, my hobby, and all of that. But his neighbor got sick and had had cancer, and his, his neighbor was a Christian. He said, so I volunteered to cut my neighbor's grass, and then I'd go sit down with him, and he was so sick, and I'd just sit and talk with him. And he said, every time he'd keep talking to me about Jesus. One thing led to another, and this, this fellow, I mean, he really, really, really gets saved, if I can use that old language. I mean, Jesus Christ completely changes his life. Now he, he's on the church board then. Now, guess what? The Lord's continued to work in his life, He's a district licensed minister here on Northwestern Iowa District. I mean, it's a really cool story. I mean, I love hearing his testimony. So he shared, then somebody down here. Then there was an older gentleman down at the end. And he said, well, he said, I didn't grow up going to church, didn't know anything about church, had no interest in church, had no interest in God. I was just living my life. I was a young guy. He said, I got drafted to go to Vietnam. He said, before I went, my cousin gave me a crucifix on a little gold chain and said, here, wear this. It'll keep you safe. Said, I thought, well, can't hurt. So that's what he said. So he just put it on. And, and off to Vietnam he went. He said, one day we were in, one of, in a Vietnamese village and one of these little Vietnamese girls, little girl, five, six years old, comes up to me and she sees that crucifix 
And in her, in her little voice in broken English, she looked at me, pointed at that crucifix, and said, you, me, the same. And he said, oh, no, no, no. You and me, we are, you and I, we are not the same. No. And he said, she did it again. You, me, the same. He said, I couldn't get away from it. He said, I got back here to, to Springfield. And he said, I just lived up the street from this church, and I walked down here one morning and said, can somebody tell me about God? Well, that's as easy as it gets. I mean, that's just, it doesn't get any easier than that. And they led him to saving faith in Jesus Christ, and it changed him and changed the direction of his life. One God, one Father of all, and Paul the Jew is writing to his Gentile readers, you, me, the same, same God, same Father, and that makes us brothers and sisters. In chapter 2, he'd, he'd written about taking down the walls of Christ, taking down the walls between these groups of people. The late Chuck Colson wrote, one of the most powerful evidences of Christ's reality is when skeptics look at the church and see a different, and see a group of people from different races and backgrounds drawn together in supernatural unity. Not the unity that the world offers, which is based on common interest or social or cultural or economic backgrounds, but the unlikely unity that comes from Christ himself bringing together people from every tribe and nation in his one body. Then Paul comes to the gifts for unity. Seven and 11 and 12, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. This is one of three places in Paul's writing, the other is in Romans and 1 Corinthians, where Paul talks about there being gifts of the Spirit for believers. But in this passage, he's a little more specific, and he's talking about specific roles as in apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, or pastors and teachers. So here we are in this period of transition considering about a new pastor coming in. And it's a good time for us just one more time just to pause for a moment and say, okay, why do we have a new pastor coming in? And what's the new pastor to be about? So long time ago, back in olden days, oh, when I was a pastor, District superintendent called me, and, and we were longtime friends, and he said, Jeff, this church is looking for a pastor, and you need to know this church, that church went through pastors frequently. He said, I think I got a guy lined up from Michigan that's going to come down and interview with the church, but if he backs out, would you come? and talk and interview with that board. And I said, I have, I want to make this clear, I have absolutely zero interest in going to be the pastor of that church, none. He said, well, I, I, I figured that was the case. He said, and I think this other fellow is going to come from Michigan. He said, but just if he doesn't, would you at least come and buy me some time? I didn't know DSs did things like that. 
I've never done that, but I've sure been tempted a few times just to say, come on, just, you know, let's just do a head fake with a board and move this thing along. I, I haven't done that yet. So, because he was my friend, I said, okay. You should never trust somebody from Michigan. <laughs> the guy backed out, didn't go. So then I was caught, and I felt like I had to because my word meant something. If you're from Michigan, I'm only kidding. I came to faith in Christ in Michigan, and it's always been humbling to me of all the places that that's where it, that's where it happened. But I'm, I'm very grateful for that. But nonetheless, we, we move on from there. So I go down to meet this church, and like I said, they, you know, they just sort of had a reputation of being difficult people. And they had a big board, like 20-some people on this board. And so they sat there, and they just grilled me. And I'm thinking, this is so ironic. They're sitting there thinking, I really want to come be their pastor, and I don't want to be their pastor. I'm not going to be their pastor, but they're thinking it. You know, I mean, this is, it's a lousy setup the whole way around. So finally they get done, and it, you know, it's, that DS knew what he was supposed to do next. Pastor, do you have any questions? And I just, well, why not? So I said, well, can you tell me why you need a pastor? And, I mean, you just love it when people know their lines. And this lady down on the end, she just sort of like gleefully, she said, well, to minister to us, of course. Like, you dummy. And I'm like, oh, got her. Here we go. And, and with that then, I said, well, well, let me ask you. I said, let me tell you a little bit about the church where I'm at. I said, we probably got 25, maybe 30 shut-ins that belong to our church. And she said, oh, we've got at least twice that many. I said, oh, better yet. In my mind, I'm saying, better yet. I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, how often do you think the pastor ought to go see these shut-ins? She says... Oh, every other week, at least, if at all possible. And I'm like, kaboom, bingo. The script has been perfectly written. And I said, well, let me tell you about the church where I'm at. I said, we've got a lady named Betty Walden. And Betty Walden, it's her ministry. It's her calling to visit shut-ins. And so she goes around, and we pay her gas to go visit all these shut-ins. And then she lets me know what's going on. And if I need to go in to, for any special ministry with these shut-ins, then, then I do. Well, those people, they love Betty more than they did me. Hey, most... Everybody loved Betty better than they did me. They didn't need the pastor, and it was Betty's ministry. You see where I'm at there. Paul says, and he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, pastors, teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the building up for the work of ministry. Not to do it all, but that together we do it all in unity. Amen? Amen. Oh, you trained them good, pastor. All righty, last one, the goal of unity, verses 13 to 15. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, speaking the truth in love, we will all grow up in, into him who is the head that is Christ. I've been reading the Bible for a lot of years, including Ephesians, and I've preached a number of times from it, but it wasn't until more recent times that finally these verses made more sense to me than ever before. 
And it didn't come to me from a Bible commentary. It came from thinking about heads. It came from becoming a grandpa. And I was sitting there one day with her granddaughter rocking her. I'm looking at her, little thing, like, she's got a big head. And I'd never been a grandpa before. It had been a while since I'd been a dad. And I'm like, is this normal? <laughs> and, and I'm like, huh, you know, I don't want to ask anybody, but I, I don't know. So I went to my other Bible commentary, Google. And I Googled it. How big should a baby's head be? Well, here you go. Did you know that the human brain reaches half of its full size by the time a baby is only nine months old? So it's got to have some space to get all that in there. And by the time that child's only two years old, it's three-quarters the size of a full-grown adult. Wow. You see, a baby's head has to lead the way and be large and grow rapidly to accommodate and to facilitate the growth of the rest and the development of the rest of the body. So here's Paul saying, Christ is the head, this really big head, and we are the body, and we are to grow into the head until where the body matches up with the head. And that's called maturity. However, our maturity in Christ is not isolated. In other words, you just don't go off into the wilderness. It's not just something you do on your own to become like Christ. We become mature in Christ and grow into the head as we are part of the body and live in relation to one another. So let me wrap this up. For a long time, my, my sister and her family lived in L.A. That's lower Alabama. <clears throat> Just outside of Montgomery. And they attended a, a large church, several thousand people. They had five, six weekend services at least. And for 30 years, that church was pastored by a man named John Ed Matheson, which definitely proves that he was Southerner too because he went by both names and he wasn't being fancy. Had both names and his middle name, he didn't even get a whole middle name. John Ed. And you know you watch church sometimes on TV. You notice those churches never make any mistakes, you know? Baby cries, you never hear it. Music's bad. They just cut it out. Pastor preaches a dud of a message. They just show a rerun from last year. You know, you never see all that other stuff. Not at John Ed's church, because I'd watch it sometimes. And they just put it all on there. And there were days I'd say, well, shoot, that's not as good as what I do. There's a great big church. John Ed wrote several books, but I think, Probably the one 
that was his best and the one that was the secret to what was happening there. Simply, every member in ministry. <laughs> you get it? Every member in ministry. It wasn't on the strength of a Sunday presentation that was better than anybody else's or a charismatic celebrity type pastor. It was because that church lived out the biblical teaching of everybody in ministry in a context of humility, gentleness, patience with one another, and love. And so at the end of every one of those services, every weekend for years, they'd end their services the same way. They'd all stand, they'd all take hands across the aisles, and they'd sing this little song. Bind us together, Lord, bind us together. Bind us together in love. There is only one God, there is only one King. There is only one body, and that is why we sing, bind us together, Lord, bind us together, bind us together. I invite you to stand. Oh, don't worry. I know we're still having uh, post post COVID concerns. Some of you, some of you, will never touch another person again in your life. Uh, you know, I can say it now. Seven years from now, huh? COVID. Uh, it's sort of convenient when you want it to be. You know, come on up, Amy. We're going to sing this thing. Well, you don't have to hold anybody's hand unless I mean this was like a date, and you've been looking for the moment. <laughs> but we are going to sing it from our hearts. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together. Bind us together in love. There's only one body. There's only one, only one God, only one king, only one body. That's why we sing. Bind us together. Now, hey, you're going to have to help me. Some of you that are my age, she does so well. So sorry. I don't know where my paper is. Well, that's fine. But, you know, she wasn't born when this song was written. I remembered it. So she never heard ah, it before thank this you. week. thank you. It's okay. <laughs> but some of us, we've, we've been around. Oh, there we go. Getting the paper. Is that what we're going I would, for? I would have figured it out. All righty. Well, maybe Ryan was going to come sing with you here, but that'd be great. All right. Okay. So if you don't know it, she and... Some of us have been around. We'll teach it to you. And then we'll, we'll all sing it. All right? Let's, let's try it. Try it. Yes, let's do it. <laughs> Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with cords that cannot be
Father, thank you for this hour that we've spent together, for the privilege of thoughtful worship this morning that we shared. And truly, we do love you. And we're so grateful that you love us like you do. And all that you've done for us and who we are. Because what you've given us in Jesus. Father, we thank you for the gift of the church. For those who stand around us this morning, for some of us, we've been here a long time, and these people are as close to us or closer than our own families. We love them, and we thank you for them. Brothers, Lord, who are newer, I pray that they too will come to know that love and acceptance. Lord, help us, I pray, to more and more resemble Jesus, to grow into the head. Fill us, I pray, help us to be people of humility and patience, love, peace, especially in a world that seems so bent on everything other than that. Father, I thank you this morning for the pastors that you've given this church through the years, and certainly most recently, our dear friend, brother, our good pastor, Pastor Paul. And I pray your continued favor and blessings upon him and Terry and their boys and their family. Walk with them, guide them, I pray. And they continue, Lord, to be fruitful in their service unto you. And through them, may you continue to work. Grant, Lord, as we enter into this new era, calling another pastor, may we look forward and believe with all of our hearts the best days for this church can be ahead. So grant, Lord, throughout this day, in the way that we live these days and this week, may it be of glory and honor to you until the day you welcome us home. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you go this morning.